Okay, the girls are not Love Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. They never will bring you there get the best authors, the best everything on MJ Network. MJ is named after my sister, Marsha Joyce, and today we have the author of one of my favorite books, an award-winning author, Matthew Goldberg is here, The Ancestor, and welcome back to MJ Network. So glad you're here. Me too. Thanks so much for having me again, Fran. I, I feel like I'm becoming a regular guest, and I like that. Thank you, and I'm glad you're going to be on one of my panel shows coming up. It should be fun. Yeah, I'm excited so, for that, too. That seems like a great panel. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I got lucky. I'm excited, too, because December 21st, Jeffrey Diva is coming on with another group of panels. Ooh. Jeffrey Diva, John Lesquire, Heather Graham, and Alan Jacobson. Nothing good happens after midnight. I, got, I don't know why they asked to do it. I'm like, I'm not going to turn them down. So, yeah, no, that that's a that's a power hitting panel, definitely. A lot of a lot of great authors. I'm like shocked too. So, and the first scene is really exciting. This really mm-hmm. once I once I read the first scene, I was couldn't put the book down. So, how did you create oh, the you. first scene? And did you create any look into cryogenics? I mean, I know Walt Disney, you know, uh, yeah, froze his head, and some other people freeze themselves, and I don't think they ever get defrosted. So, how, what kind of research did you do, and how come you decided to do that? That was really scary, but good though. Yeah, yeah. So the first scene, um, the main character um, sort of wakes up in the Alaskan wilderness, and he potentially believes that he's been frozen for a very, very long amount of time. Um, yeah, I did a little bit of research. I mean, I've already heard about Walt Disney too, um, but because the book has kind of a, a little bit of like a sci-fi supernatural kind of sprinkle on it, um, I, I wanted most of it to kind of come from the imagination. So it's almost mm-hmm. like there's something innate inside of him that allows himself to freeze. And then it's the mystery of what that really was, that, that either him or his family that they have something inside of them that allows them to sustain in such cold. Mm-hmm. That's scary, let me tell you. So I wonder how, if he was really a person, I wonder how we would feel after being defrosted. Oh, my God. That was, like, scary. Did, did he have, like, a mirror with him, right? So what did he think when yeah. he saw his face? That's that, What did he say to himself? Well, couldn't he say anything? Yeah, yeah. So he had, he had a mirror around his neck and, and sort of a journal with a date, and the date says mm-hmm. 1898, and that's what allows him to kind of be like, well, okay, was I frozen for potentially 120 years? Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's in complete shock, but he almost doesn't even have time to kind of let that sink in because immediately when he wakes up, there's a wolf that's ready to attack him. So his survival instinct has to kick in right away, and he has to deal with that and basically, you know, stave off the wolf and kill the wolf and then he hasn't eaten so he has to cook the wolf and eat the wolf mm-hmm. so he's he's just in sort of survival mode for that first chapter 
um, until he's actually able to be like, okay, who am I and um, what has basically happened? That is scary. It's almost like having 120 year, 20 years and then getting amnesia to say who you are. Not really. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the tricky, the tricky thing is, that, you know, you have amnesia and yeah. you start out as this new person and then slowly yeah. as the memories start to come back, you begin to morph back into who you are. And for my main character, he did, he was a, a gold rush prospector and he did mm-hmm. some really yeah. kind of bad things to, um, you know, ultimately get the gold. So as those bad memories come back, it sort of changes him as this new person he was trying to become. Um, so he's, he, he hasn't had a good day, basically. It's, it's, it's been an off day for him. Well, maybe if he was here, he would have an even more interesting day. You just know, no. <laughs> So, true, very true, did, yeah. How did you envision Wyatt, and why why Alaska? That's an unusual setting for a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I needed a very cold place, obviously, um, yeah. and I wanted to set it in the U.S. Um, and Alaska has this kind of, like, mystique to it. You know, so much of Alaska is people who either were looking to, like, escape their past and start over, and it's so isolated in a very interesting way. Um, especially the Alaska that the book takes place in, which would, would uh, not a real town, but probably closest to Nome, which is all the way mm-hmm. up north. Um, so it has this almost otherworldly kind of quality to it. Um, and all of that just fits sort of perfectly. And it was very fascinating to do research about Alaska. I didn't mm-hmm. know. I mean, I, I live in New York City. I've lived here my whole life. It, it couldn't be more different than Alaska. Um, so it was interesting for, uh, for the city boy like myself to kind of um, discover this other place, um, you know, far but not too far away. Well, when you go take a flashback back, he did, why does he decide to leave his wife and family? Mm-hmm. And then he finds yeah, himself in the 21st century, so he has to figure out how to survive too, which is even harder. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot on his plate. You know, he, he left his family to ultimate, he was, you know, a prospector and that was in mm-hmm. his blood. So the pursuit of gold is really what he cared about the most, save his family. Um, and his son was also sick. His son runs very cold and no doctor was able to understand why. So a part of him was trying to find this gold so he could have enough money to get the medical mm-hmm. needs for his son. But um, to me as an outsider looking in, that's really an excuse. Like he really was just in pursuit of the gold and the gold was paramount. Um, And then, yeah, you know, waking up 120 years later, there's so many different, you know, variables that make it difficult for him. You know, he's never seen a car before Um, Mm. with him in a washer and a dryer where he doesn't know what to do. People talk so differently. Um, You know, he even using a bathroom, he's like, what is this toilet paper? You know, so it's just everything that he's encountering that he has to kind of, you know, double time pick up in terms of, you know, this new world that he's awakened to. Yeah, well, it's kind of hard, too. So how come people actually helped him? And what did they actually think about him? Because people weren't that mean. They sort of befriended him. Right. And and then there's somebody that thinks he's a little off. Well, he is a little off, but what can you do? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you know, he winds up in this very small town. It's a real kind of tight community. Um, and I think, you know, with that, it's like they're wary about outsiders, but it's also just like a new person and a new face. So there's like a little excitement with that, too. Um, and he sees a man who looks 
very similar to him. Um, and when he follows that man home and he sees that man's wife and child, he starts to remember his own wife and child. So he almost believes that this man, um, that he's the ancestor of this man. This man is his, um, you know, descendant. Um, and the man also is so infatuated with him as well because they look alike. So there already is this kind of friendship and commonality that, that exists between them. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's treated well at first, you know, the, the question is, has, have they treated him too well in terms of what his intentions actually are? Yeah, I know. That's it's scary. This is scary. But this is so mm-hmm. good, though, because it's it's different. It's different. Yeah. You know, everybody writes a book, and I read, you know how many I read, too many. Right, right. So when I got this one, I'm going like, how can anybody not like this book? And I read some reviews, I and agree. I said, like, are you, are you serious? Yeah, I mean, I it's mean, gotten... Really? It's gotten really good reviews kind of across the board, but um, one really bad review that it got was from Publishers Weekly that just, like, tore it apart for no reason. Um, Yeah, I know. I don't don't know the answer to that. Um, You know, the book was not an easy book to sell in the publishing industry because it doesn't fit into one genre. So, you know, a thriller, it's historical, it's literary, um, it has some sci-fi in it as well so a lot of the big presses even though they really loved it they were just like we don't know how to market this and they kind of gave up on it and then the publisher that I wound up with loved it for all those reasons he loved it because he was like I've never seen a book like this before Um, and my goal as a writer is to kind of give people stories that they maybe haven't read before to just give them something new Um, and I've had really great responses from, you know, thriller writers who have never read sci-fi before who were into it because of that or who never tried historical before. Um, so I think it's all about really just, like, trusting that your readers are craving more than than the publishers actually think they are. Well, that, that, that's the truth because basically I read so many books and I just read something mm-hmm. yesterday that was really, really good. The author is, like, 80 years, 78, 80 years old. Oh, wow. And, mm-hmm. yeah. And the, the book is really good. It's just that it's like a character in a series, and it's the same character just yeah. doing the same thing over again. And I wasn't going to tell her that because she's 80 years yeah. old. The book was good. Yeah. And the main character yeah. can be kind of overpowering, but she reminds me of me, so that's okay. Okay. And, and I felt bad. So Wyatt at times is untamed, and he doesn't hesitate to bam somebody. How come? Not that I blame him, and I was sort of hoping he would help me bam somebody too. He, to to what to somebody? Smash him over the head violently. Smash somebody. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I think his primal impulses start to come out. You know, he had to. Yeah. It was it was you know it was survival of the fittest as a prospector in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very different than the California gold rush. You had you know harsh terrain. You had bandits. You had all of these sort of you know things that could take you out. Um, so he had a fight kind of like a fighter mentality throughout it. And as his memories start to come back, um, that, you know, innate quality in him started to come back as well. You know, he's um, a man with sort of, you know, a a trained pursuit, and that pursuit has always been gold. And anything that's, you know, coming in his way in terms of that, he's going to get rid of. I can't blame him. So you yeah. did, you mentioned 
I don't blame him. I mean, I wish I could get him to do some of the things for me too. So okay, what, yeah, what, yeah, I'll call him up. I have, you know, me, you me and know, him were Friend has a few prospects for you. Take care of them. Sure, yeah, yeah. So tell us about the research you did about the Indians and what tribe they belong to and where does he hold up? This is really yeah, cool. Yeah, so a, a, big, a, big, a big part of the of a subplot in the book is in the town there's a Native American reservation. Um, and it's a reservation that's really come on, you know, very hard times. They've almost been forgotten about by the town, so there's no industry, there's no job. Um it, it, it's been heavily um, influenced by heroin and a heroin trade. Um, so why it kind of gets involved with a woman from um, one of the uh, from the reservation, and it allows him to remember his own experiences. Um, you know, back in the 1890s when he was searching for gold and um, a tracker. He, he sort of befriends a tracker along the way, a Native American tracker, and it allows him to lose, you know, at, at, at that time, you know, in the 1890s, he had a lot of sort of racial hangups connected to um, Native Americans, and that friendship allows him to kind of see um, them in uh, a very sort of different and positive light, so it sort of eliminates his racism because of it, um, and um, he wouldn't have been able to find the gold without that tracker. That is so that is so interesting because it was like diff- something different for me to learn about. So walking around the town and meeting mm-hmm. people, they even buy him a drink of food. So who is Elzon and why does he take him in? I mean, after all, the, the sight of him had to scare him to death, and yet he he doesn't he doesn't he's not afraid of him. He takes yeah, him in I mean, like a again, good person. Sure. Was really nice. Yeah, no, he, he's a he's you know he's a he's a side character, Elson, but he's you know like just a good guy basically. Um, and I think it was what I was saying before. You know, a, a lot of people flee to Alaska to escape whatever they're escaping from. Um, and I think you know Elson, he's probably you know late fifties. He's lived there his whole life. He's sort of seen this before, where a drifter kind of comes in to the town mm-hmm. looking for a different really just looking for an escape from whatever he's escaping from. So I think he, you know, um, he sympathizes with him because of that. And, I mean, look, he gives him a job as a dishwasher. So he was really just kind of testing him out at first. And, you know, Wyatt is a man who was always, um, you know, like we talked before with his pursuit of gold, um, he's not a lazy person. So once he learns how to dishwash, um, it's, it, it, it's something that he puts all his effort to because he he needs he needs it to survive. He has nothing. Well, he has good survival skills, that's for sure. Yes, yes. Which most yeah, people I mean, don't. I, I wonder how anybody else would have reacted. I mean, I don't know, mm-hmm. a younger person maybe, but it's amazing that he was able to adapt to the world, and yet they wouldn't realize that he was from another world. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's interesting with his amnesia is even though the memories are gone, the yeah. all his survival skills haven't left at all. So he can do all the things that he had always been trained to do. And why it's in mm. his late 30s, so he's been, you know, doing a lot of these things probably since he was a teenager, you know, back in post-Civil War era. Um, and, and that even though 120 years have passed, he's still able to do all of them still. So tell us about Grayson. You know, there are people that mm-hmm. everybody has this. You take one look at them and go, like, I don't like you. 
Very perceptive. Yes. Yeah. That, that's me sometimes. Yeah. So tell us about why Grayson didn't like him at all. Yeah. So Grayson. I didn't like the, Grayson either. Yeah, yeah. He's he's not easy to like. Yeah, you know, Grayson is the deputy in town. He has a little bit too much of a fondness for drink. Um, he's not. Um, he he's with the woman that he's cheated on a few times. So he you know he's not the best moral compass. Um, but he, as a deputy, is trained to kind of notice criminality in a person, and he immediately doesn't trust Wyatt. Also because Wyatt is encroaching on Grayson's friend Travis, the man who, who looks like Wyatt. So yeah. he feels this sort of insidious influence that's kind of taking over his friend. And there's a jealousy involved with that, too. You know, these are boys who grew up together. They've been best friends their whole life, and this new friend kind of comes along in. And, and, and he doesn't like that. Um, and, it's, you know, it's really to his detriment because he becomes, you know, the antagonist to Wyatt. And, um, mm. you know, both of them can't, both of them can't continue on unless yeah, I know. one of them gets rid of the other one. Yeah. So he, he really, you know, um, sticks his foot into a mess as Wyatt becomes more sort of, um, you know, the thriller aspect of the book ramps up and why it becomes actually more insidious. That's why I like him, though. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's, no, That's no. the part of him I, I like. Mean, I know, I'm I, getting terrible. To, <laughs> no, no, I hear you. I mean, it's very fun to write an anti-hero. You know, there's things you love about Wyatt. There's things that you're disappointed when he does. But you also, in some ways, I think, understand why he does what he does as well. Um, and because he loves his family so much that he'll never see yeah. again because obviously they've been dead for you know, many, many decades, um, you you empathize and sympathize with him as well. Well, when you do this, we're going to talk more about this on December 8th when you join the panel mm-hmm. for flashbacks, sure. timelines, and code switching or language and italics. Mm-hmm. Little Joe and mm-hmm. Adelaide, tell us about them mm-hmm. and their relationship. And throughout the novel... In his own way, he wants to find them, yet he knows it's impossible. And what yeah. finally lets him know that? And how does he know that he has to deal with the unknown? Because he mm-hmm. adapts so nicely. And then we'll talk about Travis. That was interesting, too. Sure. So, yeah, Joe and Adelaide is, is, is his wife and child back in the 1890s. Yeah. Um, so you're dealing with, you know, I did a lot of research about, you know, dialect during that time um, to really kind of capture... You know, like, mm. she wears her hair like a Gibson girl. It was like a style of hair that was very popular back then. Um, so, and, you know, Joe plays with, like, a stick and hoop. Like, you know, that was a, that was a big thing then, too. So the, the research was really fun to kind of bring them to life. Um, but, it, you know, it's also so sad because, you know, let's say somebody today wakes up with amnesia, and they don't know who they yeah. are. But then the memories slowly come back, and they're like, okay, I remember my wife and child. I'm going to go find them because maybe they're just in Illinois or something. And for Wyatt, that's not the case. The more he remembers, the more pain he has because it all is the realization that he'll never see these people again. You know, when he sees Travis and he sees the the two men, you know, they look exactly alike. They maybe are related to each other in some way. And Travis's wife and child also remind him so much of his own. Um, the pursuit becomes to get that wife and child as a supplication for the ones that he's lost. 
Um, and that's really when the thriller aspect of the novel ramps up because you have somebody who has good reason. You understand his reasoning, um, even though there's an element of evil within it as well. So it's complicated. Well, it's complicated. I know. So tell us about Travis. I mean, here you see somebody that looks mm-hmm. like you. Why does he want to be yeah. part of his life? And yet he's not really sure. And, of course, I love Eli. Can I say? Yeah, yeah. Eli is, Eli is a, a fun kid. Um, Hold, on for so, one, yeah. Hold on for one second. Yeah. Hold on for one second. Sure, sure. Sure, sure. i got to call you back. I'm on the air. I'll call you back at, a, I'll call you about 11, okay? Thanks. That, that's my cousin. He's in an assisted living, and he's got COVID. Uh, oh, no. So, oh, he, you know, so he calls me. Sorry. He's my medical advisor, too. He's a genius. <laughs> so I yeah, didn't want yeah. him to think that I was ignoring him. Sorry about that. Sure. Okay. No, no, no. Actually, so why does okay. he want to be part of his life? And tell us about Eli. Eli's so cool. This kid is so cute. And Callie, yeah. I like her, too. Yeah, she's great. Um, so, yeah, Travis is, you know, if you were to believe that it's true, he would be Wyatt's great-great-grandson. Um, and you know, for Travis, he's kind of, he and his family are in hard times. He used to work at the oil refinery. Mm-hmm. The whole oil refinery shut down, so he's out of work. He has dreams of opening a fish shack and being, you know, like a fisherman. Um, mm-hmm. But they need money for that, basically. Um, so he's at, like, a stuck point in his life, and it's affecting his marriage. It's affecting his child mm-hmm. as well because he's dealing with elements of, you know, like depression. Um, and then he sees this man who looks exactly like him, and it, it, it's just like a shift. You know, it's like you do the same thing day in, day out, and you get kind of in a rut, and then this thing kind of comes along to upend it. And why it is that thing? So it's just this new kind of fascination and the lore of, like, well, maybe we are related, and maybe he has been frozen in time. So he really forms, like, a very close bond with, with, with Wyatt, and the two really develop a real friendship. The other complication that goes along mm. with that is Travis's mm. grandfather is still alive. He's dying. Oh, wow. He's in his 90s yeah. and he's dying. Um, but for Wyatt, that would be his grandson. So That's right. So it makes him that much more invested in the family because his grandson might know about Wyatt's actual son that would be his father very confusing but like it's 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 throughout time all these different generations merging yeah, and meeting so cool. that never should have met before except next to each other in a graveyard um but somehow they they're they've been thrust into each other's lives and the complications that go along with that too um and then yeah the other characters are are, are Callie which is Travis's wife um, who is a major character in, in, in the novel. You know, she has her own things that she's dealing with. Her marriage yeah. is not as, you know, exciting as it used to be. She's in a transplant from California, so she's kind of new to this Alaskan world, and she doesn't quite fit in. Um, and then you have their kid who's just a very precocious, cute, kind of somewhat comic relief in, in the book, I think. It's scary. I, I get jealous because my, I never met my grandmother, the one I'm named for. I never mm-hmm. met her. And I didn't know she mm-hmm. was my grandmother until my grandmother that I grew up with died. Because they never told me oh, that wow. she was my step. My grandmother was the coolest. Oh, she was so cool, my grandma. And mm-hmm. we used to get in trouble together. It was so cool. But the, mm-hmm. my real grandmother, 
Um, they said I was named for her because I have a brain. I'm smart. Um, nice. I look like her, which is not a good thing. What can I tell you? <laughs> but she was a, so. Why it can be violent and yet kind and soft at times. Mm-hmm. Now this really threw me. How did mm-hmm. you meet Aylin, and why did they form a relationship? And I said, "Go, Wyatt." <laughs> that was really um, cool. Yeah. To think about this book, it's 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 something I'm working on also to potentially be like a television series. So I wanted oh good the sub characters to all have enough about them that they could become main characters as well, you know, if it was to continue on for, you know, a multiple season show. Um, so, I mean, we'll see if that happens. But, like, when I was writing it, that was sort of the intention. Um, so, Aileen, you know, she's a Native American woman who lives in the reservation. She's fallen on really hard times. And she works at the local brothel. Um, so, she meets Wyatt that way. He's basically, you know, lying on the street, hungry and frozen, and he decides to kind of just take him into the brothel. Um, when she learns that he really doesn't have money and he has all mm-hmm. these crazy stories about being frozen in time, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't really know her actual reason. I, I, you know, I think it, it, it's, it's probably similar to Travis, she's been doing the same thing day in, day out. She lives in this tiny town. She works at a brothel. Her life is not going yeah. well. And you have this new person that kind of just comes in, and she's intrigued by him. But she's also been burned by so many people and in so many different things in life. She's had a really kind of rough go of it. Yeah. So she doesn't trust anybody. Um, but she almost becomes like a caregiver for him in a sense. Um, and, and she's a really great character, and I love sort of her trajectory and how, you know, not, not to spoil anything, but she eventually leaves Alaska mm-hmm. and moves to San Diego um, to kind of just start over. And, you know, the money that she's able to, that White gives her allows her to do that. So even though a lot of the characters have very sort of tragic arcs and very tragic ends, and the book is really about sort of death, um, Aileen's journey is a very positive one. She's one of the few characters that I think ends up a lot better off than where she began. That's very true. But I'm going to bring up something after about the ending of this book because I have sure. an idea. What can I say? Yeah. So okay. what happens when Wyatt meets Stu and Cora? And tell mm-hmm. us about Stu and his late son, Bobby, and why he has mm-hmm. the ability to deal with his wife and family after he got hard after the his mur- the murder, and I felt so bad for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So another sort of subplot that that, that happens in the book is Travis's father, Stu, is the sheriff of um, the, the small yeah. town. His wife, Cora, um, and they had another son, Bobby, who about two years before the book began vanished, and there always was sort of a suspicious kind of undertone to why he vanished. Bobby was into drugs. There was sort of um, a, a, a drug influence in the next town over that was kind of becoming pervasive into their town. Um, so Stu, you know, he's, he's a cop. He's a sheriff. He ultimately thinks that there was, you know, sort of foul play. And much like, you know, a lot of the book is, about obsession and people's obsessions and, you know, why his obsession was gold in his family. Um, for Stu, the obsession is, you know, figuring out what happened to his son, Bobby, you know, and he, you mm-hmm. know, very kind of sad scene 
uh, towards the beginning when Travis goes down into Stu's like little office in the basement, and the whole basement is just um, news clippings of Bobby, you know, almost in a very like um, zodiac kind of obsessive way. Yeah. With different, you know, um, questions about what happened and theories and, and this and that. So it, it sort of has consumed him. And they learn of this sort of evil influence um, that maybe is controlling this drug trade and really um, wound up getting rid of Bobby when Bobby didn't comply. And so Stu's arc in the novel is um, sort of getting rid of this evil influence in town, not also realizing that his other son um, is in danger from Wyatt as well. So, um, uh, yeah, but he, you know, he's hardened. He's, he's, He's sort of a, a complicated character in that way. Um, he's he's been hardened by life as well. So why does Travis befriend Wyatt, and what does Wyatt tell him he's searching for? Because they the two of them become buds buds, and then he gets hooked yeah. on heroin. And this was original mm-hmm. because he all of a sudden the heroin leads him to dream about the past. He sort of felt better after he got up after the high so I said well you know you never know maybe people need to do that you know well, yeah yeah so, I'm certainly yeah. not advocating for anybody to do heroin um, but for for Wyatt yeah it's it's the key that allows him to travel back in his mind yeah and once he sort of at first gets that and you know it's it, 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 it it's like how addiction happens for a lot of people you know it it either lets them forget about something terrible that they didn't want to think about or, you know, whatever sort of their reason is. So for him, it's, 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 it's the key that opens the door to his memories. Um, and he, you know, gets very heavily under the influence of heroin, but it also allows him to remember everything about his, his journey in Alaska, you know, to get to, to find the gold. And then beyond that, because he never mm-hmm. actually found the gold, um, to remember where it might have been left. Um, and that's when Travis gets very, you know, interested because he needs money. He wants to open his fish shack. So why not remember this guy and see if he actually may know where this gold is and, and, and check it out to see if they can find it and potentially change his own life. Um, and then also there's just, you know, like, like we talked about before, mm-hmm. he's just um, fascinated by somebody who looks exactly like him and yeah. wants to get a little to the bottom of that mystery. And, Probably, you know, they say people come into your life for a reason, a season. What's the cliche? A season, a reason, or a lifetime. Um, you know, and and for him at that moment, why has come into his life for a reason, um, and he's curious about that. Well, for those people that have never read books in two timelines, you made mm-hmm. it very simple for me because you actually you. dated them. Eight August, seriously, you could you. When I, when I read something and I'm all of a sudden I'm on paragraph one and then all of a sudden paragraph two, I go like, what? How did I get back yeah, here? Yeah. Why am I back there? Yeah. And yeah. I, I go, oh, my God. Then I need my graphic organizer for when I was teaching kids plot line. Um, <laughs> so you have, how did you create the timeline? It says August 18th, 1898 to precisely mm-hmm. November 8th, 1898. So you created the timeline. So tell us, I like this guy. I feel so bad. Yeah. George, and the guy yeah. that helped him survive and find the gold. And then there's mm-hmm. Soapy, Frank, and Sonny. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Wyatt yeah. gets betrayed. So tell us about how you created that. Because sure. that so, is... 
That's great. Thank you, thank you. So, I mean, what's very fascinating about the Alaskan gold rush in particular, it was it was such a short window of time. Um, you know, the California gold rush was many, many, many years. And what happened in Alaska is, you know, kind of gold was found, and then everybody rushed to get it, and then it was gone. Yeah. So you had just a period of a couple years, really, to deal with. Wyatt comes in sort of the tail end of it, so he reaches Dawson City, which was sort of the capital of the the Klondike Gold Rush. Um, it literally was a place in the late 1890s where you could sit down and there would be gold dust on your chair. Like, gold was everywhere. And then a year or two later, it was going down. You know, they, they came, they took the gold, and left with it. Um, so because Wyatt hits it almost at its, just after its peak, um, there's really a small window historically, where the book could take place. Um, so all the research is sort of factual um, in terms of what that timeline would be. And the character of Soapy really existed. He was an actual person. He was a mm. former Wild Wild West guy um, who, in middle age, decided to go look for gold. And he used to fake putting – he would tell people he would put money in a soap bar and then charge people double the amount for the soap with the potential that they might find a coin in the soap, and there never was a coin. Um, so he had kind of like a racket. You know, it was, he was like a con man. Um, mm. So he was in that area around that time, so I thought it would be interesting to bring a real sort of person. And it was, a, you know, sort of a fascinating life. And then the book at that point also becomes about you had a lot of these prospectors who came from the wild, wild west, and mm-hmm. that era had ended 10 years prior, a little, a little under 10 years prior, and they were looking for a new adventure. So they kind of just passed along being nomads from that part of America, moving towards, you know, Alaska and, and that gold rush in, in pursuit. Um, so the research was really sort of fascinating uh, in, in terms of that. And I, I, I wanted sort of, I've, I've heard, you know, and it's something I try to do with my writing, where you, you take the reader by the hand and you lead them through the book, um, mm-hmm. but not set out to confuse them and give them whiplash and, you know, things like that. Even if you have twists and turns, you want to make sure you're holding them by the hand and leading them through. Yeah. So um, that was something I really uh, wanted to make sure I did uh, in the historical sections. Well, I did not get confused. Yeah, I followed good, this lately, yeah. and it made it easier because you had all the timeline, tra- all the chapters in the in 1898 together, and I didn't have yeah. to keep going back and forth, back and forth. It made it. Let me tell you something that made it so much easier for for me Thank to you. understand what was happening because when I I mean I'm reading something now. One chapter is one one day. I go like, oh my god, why are they doing this to me? Root canal is better than yeah, this. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of books that do that where you go back and forth and back and forth and back and yeah, forth. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Forth. And the reason the reason mostly is you're always more invested in one part of the story more than the other. Yeah. Um, sometimes you read a book where they do it and it's and it's perfect, but any time I I read a book like that, I'm always more invested in one part of the story. So I've had some criticisms with this book where people felt that I should have broken that up. Um, no. But if you're thinking about it realistically, you know, he takes a bunch of heroin, he sits down with the pen and paper, and he's literally just writing it out. So it's just this fury of memory that, you know, for hours and hours he writes out. So it wouldn't make sense for him to, like, stop, like, 
you know, go grab a coffee, go back and do more heroin, you know, write more about it. So it, it was sort of just this sweep of memory that kind of like um, is exercised from him almost. It made more sense to me, too, because it made it so much easier. Because when I got done reading that part, I go, well, okay, now I'm going to present. I'm going to see what's going to really happen. And mm-hmm. I don't have to go back and say, what is that going to happen? Now, right, this is right. really cool. Before I forget, my list is in front of mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Monday, I am really honored. D.P. Lyle is coming back with Prior Bad Acts. On the 18th, uh, the author of The Christmas Carol Murders, and Charles Dickens is the main character. On the 23rd, someone we all know and love, John Land, Murder in Season. And on the 30th, another person we know and love. I'm doing this this show on the 30th with Dennis Palumbo because I think everybody needs to talk about fear and isolation during the pandemic. And that was my idea. Um, on the 12-2, the author of Venturi Effect. And on the 8th, you're coming back for the panel show. Yeah. And on the 10th, um, we have the author of Saving Grace. And on the 12th, we have another panel show. On the 14th, Tim O'Mara, The Hook. And on the 16th, would you believe, another panel. And on the 18th, another author of, of another uh, mystery novel. On the 21st, Alan Jacobson, Jeffrey Deaver, um, Heather Graham, and John Lesquart. Nothing good happens on After Midnight. And on the 23rd, this shocked me altogether, uh, Clive Gussler died February 24th of this year. But Boyd Morrison wrote the book with him, Marauder, and he asked for an interview, my last one for the new year, uh, for Ooh. this year. With Boyd Morrison. Yeah, awesome. I was like, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> they asked yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's going to end it. And then on January 5th, I have a special announcement. I am going to announce, I'm going to play the new released song that my niece is going to have on iTunes, Apple iTunes, Cloud, uh, Spotify. It's called Eat Your Heart Out by Carly Megan, Carly Tampin, and it's coming out January 1st. And I'm going Whoa. to play it on my show at the end of the at the end of the panel. They're going to hear it, and it's really good. It's exciting, yeah. That's awesome. I promised her I would do that. Yeah, she's 19 yeah. and she's in California, and oh my God. So, okay. What happens? Um, what? When, how does he find out where the gold is, and why does Callie let Travis go with him? That was a surprise. Yeah. So, part of him accessing his memory is. Is, is not just to remember, you know, his family. It's also to remember potentially where he left the gold before whatever happened happened to freeze them in time. Um, why Callie lets him go? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they've been married for a while. They have a young son, um, and things haven't been going amazing. There's, you know, all the stress about bills and the future. Travis's grandfather is very sick. He's in and out of the hospital. So I think doesn't want to stir anything up you know he she wants to support her husband if he's excited about something Mm -hmm. so he often goes hunting in the wilderness so it's not that crazy for him to go into the wilderness for a day um so i i I think she's almost just like you know do what makes you happy and you know hopefully we find some happiness um in the future so what happens when this is so sad, Papa has a stroke, and Wyatt wants to be part of it, but Stu wants him gone? Mm-hmm. That was sad. Yeah, I, well, Wyatt doesn't want him gone. He he wants sort of the access to yeah. the man's memories, because the, the that man's father would have been Wyatt's son, 
um, and why it left his son when the son was, you know, a little kid, and just hearing about his son's life, um, you know, so the problem is the man is dying, and he has his own family, so why it is not a priority in terms of it, and that causes a lot of strife mm-hmm. in the family itself, because Billy Cooper yeah. is this guy, like, why is he coming in to the hospital room, you know, like, and, and for Wyatt, it's just, you know, it, it's almost like any nugget about his child. You know, unfortunately, what he learns is that, you know, his his son passed away very young. He, you know, it, it, they don't exactly know, but he was in, like, a gang fight um, and, mm. and and mom was dying. Um, so here he learns finally, you know, the fate of his son, but that his son was probably, like, a teenager when he passed away or, you know, a, maybe early 20s didn't have the full life that he would have wished for him. So how do we know this is really cool because for some reason Papa and Wyatt have a bond. How come? Mm-hmm. They seem to really care about each other, and Papa really wants Wyatt around. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think like any family has a bond, even if they haven't yeah. spent time together. Um, you know, Papa is Wyatt's grandchild. And the bond is that they, you know, the, the man in between them, you know, the, the Papa's father and Wyatt's son connects them. And, you know, here Papa is in his 90s, he's dying, so he's not 100% lucid, um, but, mm. you know, there's still just like an electricity that, that exists sort of between them. Um, and I think and Papa also gets confused because I think he thinks that Wyatt is Travis. He thinks Wyatt is his grandson, where in actuality he's his grandfather. So when the past is unveiled, how does that change the truth change about Wyatt and what is a Barlow? What does he yeah. believe that he's a Barlow? That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean once his once the memories of his past start to kind of all lock in place, um, he remembers his name, you know, and that his name was Barlow and that that happens to be Travis's last name as well. Um, you know, and there's people in the outside of town that are like, well, you know, you have these small communities. <clears throat> there's a history of people with the same last name. Maybe he's a cousin. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's that. Um, but I think the men start to really, you know, the two men start to really realize that there's something outside of this world that can't be explained in terms of, you know, what's going on. And the book never answers that. Um, I sort of chose not to. Um, If I write a sequel, the sequel will be about that. Yeah, I hope you are. Yeah, I I will. The question is sort of when, when I want to, I mean, this is a very hard book for me to write. So, and it was a very difficult place in my own life when I wrote it, where there was like a lot of death kind of happening in my own life. Um, mm-hmm. So I, it's not that easy to just pick up and write again. Um, but mm-hmm. the second book would really explore the mystery, um, and and I think it would. I, I think when I do, it'll it'll be a really um, uh, cool book to work on. I say that was my question. I knew that was going to have a sequel. I yeah. know these <laughs> things. This girl knows. Yeah, exactly. So, now he finds the gold. 
Now, this is really amazing. How does this change his perspective on life? Now, you know, a lot of people stereotype you by the money you have, the class you have, mm-hmm. uh, your your mm-hmm. um, station in life, how, how your economic. So, what? Mm-hmm. How does what? How does this, this family accept him? Because now that he's going to have the gold, I mean, money is at the root. Acceptance, family, and wanting the past and the present. So, how did you bring this to light in the end? Because they're really interesting. Yeah. So, you know sort of the common theme with money. It doesn't solve all the problems. Yeah. So there's initial elation, finding all this gold, which winds up, I think, turning out to be like a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars you know, oh, ultimately. Nice. Um, and he gives Travis some of that so Travis could open up his, his shack. But all of these people still have all of these issues and problems, and money was just one issue. So all of their other problems are still sort of existing. There's still, you know, death of the brother in the family. There's still, you know, not a potential to Wyatt to find his own family because they've been dead for so long. So money is not going to sort of solve everything. Like I said, it's the only character that really makes it out. Uh, it's like state and has a better life because the money is 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 Aelin, you know, where she's able to give up working at the brothel and start a new life somewhere warm. Um, and, you know, she sort of represents, I think, like the hope in the book um, where a lot, um, I'm trying to think of another character where it, like, ends better for them or it began. I mean, I guess you could argue Wyatt, um, but he has to do some pretty terrible things to get there. I don't know why people actually judge you sometimes by your appearance. I know that. I've mm-hmm. seen that. And they judge you by, by your economic whatever and how you mm-hmm. look and stuff like that. As a matter yeah. of fact, you know, growing, growing up, I had, you know, met a friend, whatever, and the the mother of the friend felt that if you weren't in the right economic class, you weren't right enough to be part of her child's life. Mm, so oh, why, wow. do, why do people feel like that? It's horrible. That's horrible. Yeah, I mean, I think Wyatt at face value looks homeless, and that's how he's judged. You know, here, I, obviously, he's been on ice for 120 years, so how could he not look disheveled? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but then, we, like we talked about before, I mean, a lot of the people in the town really don't judge him right off. Like, they welcome him, yeah. and they have a beer, and, you know, I think it has to do with sort of that mentality of Alaska where if he woke up like that in the city, in New York City, you know, would not have been treated sort of open arms right way, sort of right off the bat. It's it's sad. I mean, I grew up in a, in a not a great neighborhood when I was in the South Bronx and mm-hmm. there were people of all whatever. And who cared? I mean, who cared? I mean, until this day, who cares? I mean, you I thought we finally moved out of, of the Bronx because it's not safe anymore where we were, but that's beside yeah. the point. But who cares? I mean, really, you know, everybody's who, a person. People who judge, it's like their own insecurities, in all honesty. Yeah. So without giving it away, this mm-hmm. was a shock. For those of you that haven't read this, you're going to like the ending. You're going to go, what? <laughs> How did you create this ending? Oh, my God. I, I, I was, oh, my God, really, seriously. This is like yeah. so. I mean, how did you, that's scary. Yeah, so it's a very shocking ending, and I'm going to yeah. try to delicately answer without sort of giving too much. Um, all my books yeah. 
very rarely have a definitive ending. So I like yeah. when things end almost on a hook or a little twist. Um, you know, like my book, The Mentor and The Desire Card, they, they all sort of you almost want to keep turning the page and you're like, oh, my God, there's not another page. So I think with this book, if you read it in a certain way, it tells you what the ending is from the start. You, why it is telling you throughout the book what is going to happen. Um, and if you read it again, you'll see all the instances where he basically spells out um, what the fate will be. Um, it, it's heartbreaking and it's sad, and it was a really, really tough scene to write because you really, I mean, I, especially these characters, I really sort of fell in love with. And again, like, it was written in a very difficult time of my own, so um, it was it was like losing somebody you know um, if somebody winds up dying in the end. Um, but it, it's open to perception. So, you know, somebody at the end doesn't have the best fate, but are they gone forever? Um, that That is sort of as delicately as I could answer that, you know, um, and like I said, you know, there, there's potential for a sequel and it's something in life I would like to work on, um, especially if it winds up becoming a television series. I mean, then I absolutely would write it. Um, so unless somebody is 100% dead, they're not dead. I know. This is like, I could see where the book would start almost like it's, the new one would start almost like the one that this one started. Yes, in, in exactly. But flip. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I was I, like, exactly. oh, my God. I, I know, because um, when my sister died 10 years ago, I have no idea what happened. Oh, I have wow. no idea why she had a heart attack. And the person mm-hmm. that she was married to, that's beside the point. So, yeah, I, I often I often wonder. So I, I, you know, I, I don't write like you guys do, but I, my books take mm-hmm. place from the dead person behind the gravestone. So one mm-hmm. of my books in my Faces Behind the Stone series, I changed the characters, but she's in it. Mm-hmm. And I had, to, I had to write it for myself just to get it off my chest to write it. Of course. And I'm very yeah. grateful to my hairdresser and my manicurist because my hairdresser is my sister and my my hairdresser is, is, is my ex-brother-in-law. And my mm-hmm. sister, my the manicurist is my sister, so I thought it would be cool. Okay. Yeah. No, so anyway, you you had something on the other um, a while ago from Atmosphere Press. So what's coming out? What's next for you? Because I remember you said you did. Yeah. So I have I have a few things. One I'm going to be announcing next week, but I can give a little preview of it. So I have my first sci-fi yeah. book that's coming out with Atmosphere Press, um, and it's called Orange City. It'll be out mid March. Um, oh, nice. It's basically about this hidden city that may or may not exist in this world and mm. these people that are sort of taken from this actual world and brought to it. And the problem is they can never leave. And so it's, it's, it's their experiences. So it's, it's a book I need to figure out how to sell the pitch better because it's always a very hard one to describe. Uh, so that'll be out in mid-March. And then um, really exciting... I, I got a two-book deal for a young adult series that will be coming out oh, next nice. year as well. Um, and so the first book is called Runaway Train, um, and it's about a girl in the 1990s um, 
who is very into grunge music and runs away from home actually after her sister dies. Her sister dies and she becomes very lost. Um, and she decides to do everything on her bucket list out of fear that she might die young as well. Um, so mm-hmm. it's really like a, it, uh, like a, it's all about sort of the 1990s and the grunge scene and love letters to that era. Well, I hope I get them both. But young adult series are my favorite. I love that. As yeah, an educator, I love that. And um, I know I have nieces that will want to read them. That's for sure. Yeah, so this so, one would be uh, for, like, you know, 15 and up. So, like, it, there's a lot of, yeah, like, those exactly. rock and roll young adult. Um, but, yeah, for, for an older teenager that can handle it, absolutely. Um, and I just got the cover yesterday, and the covers I think might be my favorite cover that I've, I've had. So I'm, I'm very excited we can announce it, announce it next week, yeah. Well, I'm excited, too, because it sounds great. So tell Thank us you. where we can find out more about you and your work. Yeah, so um, my website is leematthewgoldberg.com. Um, you can find out about um, all my work and where to get my books there. I'm also on Twitter at um and Instagram and Facebook as well. And, yeah, feel free to stalk me. That is, this, this has been so much fun, let me tell you. This has been yes, fun. I agree. For those of you Excellent question. Um. I had uh, I, I decided to do something that I've never done before. Um, Owl Pussycat Press, um, Karen Vaughn is uh, helping me out, and she is trying to promote my new book, What If. Mm-hmm. And What If is more more like your kind of book. <laughs> it's What If You oh, Lived cool. in My Kind of What If You Lived in My Kind of Weird Societies? Would everybody start realizing that they need to be more protective and smart in this one? And I've gotten some. Really strange reviews, not bad. The strange <laughs> yeah, ones. Yeah, strange is good. And I've gotten yeah. I mean, one is called confinement. One is called uh, the supermarket. One is called journey to nowhere about a man that just he's going nowhere because he can't find any place to go. And I mm-hmm. I think that I might if I ever sit down because my pile inside is huge. Um, the next one's going to call be called what What's next is what is. Do you want to mm-hmm. live in this world? So I haven't decided. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, but it's not it's not cool. it's not a legal from the Matthew Goldberg book, but we which we're trying to get there slowly. Yeah, but I'm very yeah. grateful that, you know, people are reading it. I got a whole bunch of five star reviews and a couple of four yeah. and a couple one that said, I like the stories but I don't understand them. I go, Well, what can I say? Can't have everything. Yeah. It I doesn't mean, mil- I, yeah, I know, you know how yeah, that feels. Shrug off or uh, like Somebody's always gonna put it. You know, it's like you go to you look at a Yelp review at a restaurant, and somebody always says something to say. It's like somebody always says something to say. Well, this particular person, um, I do uh, blog tours with um, partners in crime. They're fantastic. And yeah. And I, I had told Cheryl that this was gonna happen when this person was part of the tour. I I, I just blew it off. I said I don't care. Mm-hmm. But I want to thank you a million times. I'm looking forward to you coming on December eighth on yes, the show. Yes, me too. Um, it should be fun. Everybody, mm-hmm. it's going to pour. We're going to have a storm here later, they said. We're going to get some I kind know. of rainstorm here today and tomorrow. Uh, we'll, we'll get through it because we're New York tough. But I'm yeah, gonna, I New say this now, tough. Lee, at the end of every one of my shows. Everybody, I saw this on the highway the other day, and I thought this was great. Just one small ask. Please be kind enough and wear a mask and stay safe. I agree. Wear, everybody, wear your mask. They should be. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great day and bye.
Thanks again, friends.